Hello and welcome into the second episode of Line em Up, a sports podcast experience where you can see everything from fantasy lineups to sports betting to breaking down the latest breaking news in sports. Uh, I am once again John Beers, joined by today, as always, by Brendan Max Rollins. Hey everybody, how's it going? And Eric Lee. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well today. Looking forward to talking about the Dodgers. Eric! And, <laughs> and as Eric alluded to, this is the NL episode of our Major League Baseball season preview. Uh, we did break down the American League in that first episode. And if you are listening, having come over from the first episode, I want to just say thank you so much for giving that a, a listen. I know we all put a lot of hard work into it, and we really appreciate anybody who is listening to it, sharing it, uh, subscribing to it on Spotify. You can also find it uh, in places like Google Podcasts or a lot of other different places where you can find podcasts. And we are still expanding the options of where you're able to listen to us. So again, just thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that first podcast, but you're finding us here and that's in the second episode, stay here, listen to the NL, and then why don't you go back and you, and you take a look at uh, what we had to say about the American League. But as Eric said off the top, we are getting into the National League today. We are getting into the heavy hitters like the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves, the Mets. The Cardinals. The Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to... Hey, 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 don't leave us exclude, out. Don't exclude leave the us Cardinals. Out. I, that that was that was unintentional, completely unintentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're gonna start in the NL West, where we may have arguably the two best teams in the National League, if not the two best teams in all of baseball, maybe. And Eric, I want to sort of get your perspective on this division first, as the resident Dodgers fan, as the resident fan of the reigning world champions and the fan of the team that has really has the target on its back for everybody in the national league. But I feel like maybe now more than ever, the Dodgers are under the biggest threat, not only in the national league, but in their own division, because the Padres made a lot of really eye opening moves this off season to bolster that team uh, in addition to the talent they already have with Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, uh, all the studs they have in their pitching rotation, and, and that was the place I think they reinforced the most. So for you, as a Dodgers fan, as the one looking over their shoulder at the competition, how much do you think the additions that the Padres made help them in their quest to overtake the Dodgers? Yeah, so let me let me give my perspective because I know it may be a little different from some other Dodgers fans and their perspective on those in the division. I am a type of person who likes to play up those in the division because when we do end up beating them, it makes our team that much better, right? It, it's better than saying that we beat a bunch of lousy teams in a division for a bunch of years. So from my perspective and looking at what the Padres acquired over the offseason. I'm very impressed with what they've done. I mean, they they got individuals like you, Darvish, who had, was a former Dodger, so how can I hate him? Um, they acquired Blake Snell, who pitched so well against the Dodgers in the World Series um, before he, uh, they, he ended up getting pulled during that game. And they have a lot of 
great hitters on their lineup that can arguably hit very well against our, our pitchers. But I think, can they overtake or how likely they are to overtake the pod or sorry, the Dodgers? I, I would say it's pretty unlikely. I, I, it's, I think the Dodgers are far and away the favorite to win the uh, division. And I think if the Padres were to ever overtake the Dodgers, it'd be years down the line. It, it, it won't be this year. Um, and simply because I, I don't think they're, or the very least, I think the, the Dodgers lineup will hit very well against the Padres. Minus the exception of possibly the lefty Blake Snell, but I think of all the other righties on the their current rotation, I, I think the Dodgers will typically come out on that uh, during those matchups. And we have a lot of great individuals on the Dodgers that will, uh, I guess, protect runs against against these Padres um, from from the current rotation that the Dodgers have. But I guess this has shifted a little more into the Dodgers discussion than the Padres discussion. Um, but I think the Padres will play very well in the regular season against uh, the rest of the NL. I guess if that helps answer the question or, or the perspective that I want to provide for the, the Padres. Yeah, so Eric, I, I certainly agree with uh, your sentiment that I think the difference between the two teams is found in the pitching staffs for sure. Um, I, I personally, and again, this could be an unpopular opinion, and I'm sure it is, I'm not very excited about you, Darvish, and Blake Snell and the Padres. I still think that the unquestioned best pitcher in this rotation, and I think time will show this throughout the season, is Denelson Lamette. Um, I'll cover that a little bit more uh, when we get to some of the postseason discussions and, and the awards discussions. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with you, Eric. I think the Dodgers uh, outlast this young Padres team, and uh, hopefully we see some fireworks for years to come. But, yeah, I think the Dodgers are still the team to beat in the NL and in the major leagues. And it's funny that you should point to the pitching staff because I feel like where the Dodgers actually have the advantage is – offensively and specifically in the outfield you put these two infields up against each other it pretty much is a dead heat dead even uh you know you could have one you know i I think the the biggest maybe gap is the machado over justin turner but justin turner is still one hell of a player and so I think even there, it, the gap is small. But when you look at the outfields compared to one another, especially offensively, I know that the, the Padres have a couple of really good defensive outfielders in Trent Grisham and Tommy Pham. But I think offensively, you you know, especially when they get going, you have Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger who are arguably with, you know, Mike Trout and Christian Yelich, two of the five best offensive players in the outfield in all the major leagues and then you have you know AJ Pollock is no slouch you may see Chris Taylor out there a little bit uh, as a good sort of backup option and and so to me the biggest difference between the two teams is on offense and in the outfield I think they're both going to pitch well I think they're both obviously going to hit the crap out of the ball but I think that's where the main difference is and you know talking about that Dodgers lineup getting to that Dodgers lineup a little bit more I think we all expect Mookie Betts to be the you know biggest figure in that lineup. And so for you, Eric, I'm going to again start with you as, as the Dodgers fan. For you, outside of Betts, who do you think really needs to show up this year to make sure that the Dodgers stay on top of the NL West 
and stay on top of the National League in general. So, yeah, as I said, the Dodgers have a lot of key pieces, and a lot of star pieces, I guess, and they're bringing them all back from that World Series run and that World Series win. So from my perspective, I think the key cogs that or the key pieces that the Dodgers will need to make another deep run in the postseason are those pieces that come off the bench and can play multiple defensive positions uh, throughout the year. The Dodgers are obviously projected to end up very well in where they rank in the, in the postseason. So as long as everyone stays healthy and all of our key pieces, such as Mookie, such as Cody, such as Corey Seager, can all make it to the postseason in relatively good health, then they have a shining chance. But for those that are young and and coming up on the roster, such as Gavin Lux, or I guess even not so young, like such as AJ Pollock staying healthy and Chris Taylor being able to play those multiple positions throughout the year, and uh, Matt Beattie even like coming from deep off the bench. So being able to help these key pieces sustain their offensive firepower and their defensive positioning throughout the year, I think they're going to be the key pieces and staying fresh for a full 162 game season compared to the short season that we had last year. Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of have a different view of this than you, Eric. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Max Muncy because he's a guy that really jumps out to me in this lineup and he seems like a guy that could really carry a team in the middle to bottom half of the lineup if he's hitting well that kind of circles the lineup around and and there's no part of the lineup that a pitcher's going to be comfortable with going through if he's hitting I mean I'm looking at his stats right now he I, I didn't even know this he finished in the MVP voting in both 2018 and 2019 in the 15 spot this is a guy who was an all-star in 2019. And I would not have remembered that had I not looked it up because all I remember from the shortened season last year is this guy hit under 200. I think if he can find a way to stay consistent and incorporate a little more of a batting average with the power numbers that we know he can have and shooting the gaps, uh, I think this lineup really rolls through the bottom half of the order because you know the guys at the top are going to hit. So it I'm, I'll be curious to see how the role players in their everyday lineup factor into the season because I don't think anybody's questioning whether Mookie Betts is going to hit the ball or whether Cody Bellinger is going to get his. Uh, I think it's a matter of the consistency of the lineup, really. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the other person I would, I think I failed to mention also is Will Smith playing the catcher position. Um, and also Austin Barnes backing him up to – make sure that they keep the, the pitchers comfortable and also that they can uh, provide some offensive fire, offensive firepower out, out of that position as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the Dodgers are clearly a very deep team. And they're a team where we're seeing some of the, uh, I think, stars that you've come to known for them, the Justin Turners, the Kenley Jansons, the Clayton Kershaws, take a lesser role or a not a lesser role in the sense of that they're still not going to be really uh valuable contributors but they may not be the unquestionable best players at their positions the way that they once were and they may not be the ones leading the charge and so a question i have for you brendan is 
when you look at those players, do you think the Dodgers are going to still be able to count on them this season as they continue to age, as they continue to, you know, move closer to the twilight of the of their careers? I don't think they're quite in that yet, but I think they're getting there. Do you think the Dodgers can still rely on those players, and do they need to rely on those players? Well, yeah, John, I think the second part of your question is the key part of it. And to me, it doesn't really matter. I think the most important part of those names you just threw out there, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner, Kinley Jansen, I think the most important part of their seasons this year for the Dodgers is that they stay healthy and play the majority of the games. These are guys that you're not going to expect them to go out and put up the same numbers they were putting in 2015. But you don't need them to. Look at the rest of your lineup and look at the rest of the NL West. This is a team that's going to win 90 games minimum. I don't think anybody would argue that. And I think it's it's not a matter of if the Dodgers make the playoffs at all. Whether they make the playoffs as a wildcard team or as the winner of the National League West, I think we can count on the Padres and the Dodgers coming out. So I think their health and their consistency in showing up and playing in the every day throughout the season is going to be going to be the most important factor for the Dodgers to stay on track and roll into the postseason um, with a little higher expectations rather than having to rely a lot more on some of the guys that haven't been the staples in the past and don't know how to get this job done. I understand that's kind of critical to say of a team that just won the World Series. Um, but, I mean, looking at Kershaw's numbers, looking at Turner's numbers, even Kinley Jansen, I think they're all, you can see that they're on a steady decline at this point in their careers. But they're still, obviously, some of the best players in the league. I don't think anybody's thinking Justin Turner's going to be in the MVP voting. But, you know, this is a guy that he's, he's hitting around 300 still. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any issue with that. I'd take him on the Cardinals right now if we didn't already have the best third baseman in baseball. And, Eric, do any of those those players, do any of their declining production worry you at all, or are you okay with it? I mean, of the three that are mentioned, Clayton Gershaw, Kenley Jansen, and Justin Turner, I, I think I would agree with Max for the most part. I mean, the type of pitchers that Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen are, uh, as, as they get older, they might not have a lot more strikeout abilities, but they can still pitch to get outs. And I, I think at the very least for this year, we're talking about this year as a whole, I still have the confidence in them to get the outs that they need. They might not have, and they might not, and Kenley Jansen in particular might not have always had that strikeout ability. Uh, they definitely have the ability to pitch in high-pressure situations, though. And for Justin Turner, I mean, he's been hitting 300 uh, for the past couple of years, or at least hitting around that 300 mark. So I find it difficult to lose confidence in Justin Turner in the lineup. I think the only piece that I'd be concerned about Justin Turner would be his health as he continues to pick up an abnormal amount of hit-by-pitches and uh, and just uh, some strange injuries over the years uh, throughout the season. Just make sure you stay healthy heading into the season. So I think we all agree that this is perhaps the most top-heavy division in baseball in the sense that you have two juggernauts leading the way. And I know for me, looking at the rest of the division, at some times it, it can be a little hard to parse which teams are headed in the right direction. I don't think any of us expect the Diamondbacks, the Giants, or the Rockies to really push either the Dodgers or the Padres for a playoff spot or for the division title. But 
I want to hear your opinions, and I'm going to give mine first, on whether or not you think any of those three teams are heading in the right direction as in terms of uh, future seasons maybe coming and putting pressure on the Dodgers and the Padres. And for me, I think the team that sticks out to me the most is the Giants. Uh, One of the things I love about the Giants, and especially last year we saw this development really kick into full gear, is the rise of Mike Yastrzemski, the grandson of Carl Yastrzemski, um, becoming, you know, one of the Giants' best players. And that was really great to see. I think they have a number of pieces in the rotation where even though they're reclamation projects, uh, a little bit in your Kevin Gossman's, your Anthony DiScalfani's, your Aaron Sanchez, I think there's enough upside in those pitchers that they could really turn into something and they don't have to play at Coors Field for the whole year, which is always a nice bonus, um, especially if you're not a team built to score 10 runs a game. Brendan, I know, Brendan, did you have a different opinion there or do you sort of see the Giants as the sort of best of the next? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think all of these teams are in the bottom half of the major leagues. And I think one of them is heading in the wrong direction. One of them is heading in the wrong direction. That'd be the Rockies, who just traded the, their best player away for uh, what looks like peanuts. And uh, then you've got two kind of interesting cases in the Diamondbacks and the Giants. I agree with your sentiments there, John. I think the Giants have a lot of interesting young pieces. I actually really like their lineup, and I think Buster Posey's got some gas in the tank still, as much as I hate to say it, as the perennial contender for the MVP and the Gold Glove and and all that stuff. I shouldn't say the MVP, but the best catcher in the the National League up against uh, Yadier Molina. But I think his bat, it's still there, and he can play some defense at first base. He'll be fine behind the plate. Um, but and they have they have Joey Bart in their system, who was the number two overall pick a couple years ago. So th- there's even you know the chance where if they need Buster Posey to not be the catcher to play a little bit more first base or to you know however you know sort of platoon him, you may not even be getting that big of a drop off offensively. Exactly, I completely agree, and I just kind of want to highlight. The Diamondbacks are an interesting case. I mean, they're kind of going under the radar right now. They have some weird pieces on their team that they're going to rely on a lot of at-bats on on some of these guys like David Peralta. You've got Christian Walker, who's had some success recently, but I think a lot of people are questioning if it's sustainable. You've got a guy like Eduardo Escobar, who's been pretty successful as well, and he he projects to have a pretty good season. Um, But one guy that I am really high on, and, and this will come to no shock to anybody in this call right now, but Carson Kelly, he is really starting to put it together uh, with his at-bats. And I think that's exciting as a Diamondbacks fan to look at that because, uh, I mean, this is somebody who learned how to be a major league catcher and control a pitching staff from arguably the best catcher to ever do it in the majors in Yadier Molina. And the Cardinals gave him up uh, in the Paul Goldschmidt trade. Uh, I would say that that's pretty fair, but um, I, I, I'd be excited if I were a Diamondbacks fan with Carson Kelly, Cattell Marte, and, and some of these younger guys that they've got going right now. I think they're moving in the right direction. Do they make a push in the, in the near future? I don't know, but I, I would be excited and I would be watching some games uh, if I were a Diamondbacks fan myself. So, Eric, are you going to be the Rockies fan here or are you going to 
side with one of the teams already mentioned? So I guess speaking to the question that was posited is which teams are heading in the right direction. I think if we're looking at a five-year projection, I would agree that it's it's either Diamondbacks or Giants that look the most promising to compete in the division. I think if I were to speak to this year, I still have a little less faith in the Diamondbacks and Giants. Obviously, we said that they'd be in the bottom half of the NL as a whole, but I, I still have some amount of confidence in the Rockies at Coors Field since they still have Trevor Story and an and aging Charlie Blackman. But, and I think they still have pieces on the pitching rotation that are used to pitching at Coors Field and can still uh, moderately keep it try to keep, uh, keep the ball in the park. Them being like Marquez, Freeland, and, and John Gray, which uh, they have been inconsistent. I think that's a pretty key word for the Rockies pitchers, but I think they have the possibility to keep the Rockies on the three line in the, the, in the division for this year and this year only. All right. So I think we've pretty well covered the NL West. And so I wanted to move on to a division near and dear to your heart, Brendan, and talk about the NL Central. And your St. Louis Cardinals were definitely the biggest movers and shakers this past offseason with the blockbuster trade, albeit for not a lot of, they didn't give up a lot to get Nolan Arenado from the Rockies, but they did make the big move to acquire Arenado to put him across the diamond from Paul Goldschmidt. And so the question I have for you to take, and, and we'll get Eric's thoughts on this as well, but just how good does that combo of Goldschmidt and Arenado make the Cardinals? And, and what do you think is maybe their ceiling for this regular season? Oh boy, John, let me... Let me just thank you for, for posing that question in the manner that you did. I am so, so excited from a baseball standpoint, not just from a St. Louis standpoint, but from a baseball standpoint, that we get to watch Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado hit back-to-back in a lineup together. I think these two were made to hit in the same lineup. And you throw that in together with the young talent that the Cardinals are putting together, such as Dylan Carlson, primarily Dylan Carlson, and an interesting leadoff hitter with Tommy Edmond. I think Tommy Edmond gets on base a bunch. I think long-term, we see a 2-3-4 of Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Carlson, and Nolan Arenado, potentially in that order, but not necessarily. And you get to go left-right, left-right. And I think the Cardinals score runs more often in the first inning than any team in baseball this year. I think Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are more than enough to carry an offense that has been begging for firepower for years now. And that goes hand in hand with the fundamentals and the strong defense to go with a pitching staff that while they're aging, still look pretty good on paper. And I think the offense overwhelms most teams, not only in the, in the NL Central, but in the National League and the Major Leagues as a whole. I. I I'm curious to hear your counter-arguments to this, both Eric and John here, if you have them at all. But uh, this is something I'll be defensive about all year because I I think a lot of people are still sleeping on the Cardinals after they just arguably acquired the biggest player in the offseason. It's it's difficult for me to make a a counter-argument, I guess, for the current roster composition of the Cardinals because like I said I, at the at the top of the this discussion 
not not only for the NL Central, but for the NL West, is that I, I do like to play up the competition in the NL because it just makes the Dodgers win so much sweeter. I, I think the composition of Arenado and, and Goldschmidt at the corners here make a positive, I mean, defensive positioning for, for the Cardinals. And I think they... I mean, will provide the offensive firepower that the Cardinals need at the top of the order. I think my only concern is just making sure as they both age that they can maintain that level of consistency. As we see, like, Goldschmidt continues. He's he's an excellent hitter, but he'll, he will continue to decline. I mean, he doesn't have, for example, the speed he has on the base anymore. So there's there's no more steals from coming from Goldschmidt as when we saw that initial move from the Cardinals, or from the, from the Diamondbacks, excuse me. Um... And I just want to see how Arenado does in the change of scenery uh, in his in his first year there. And and for me, the one thing that gives me cause for concern is Arenado's coming off a down year in Colorado, albeit in the pandemic shortened season. And he is a guy who, in his career, has hit almost 200 points lower on his OPS away from Coors Field. Now. I still think he can be just as good as a player for the Cardinals as he was for the Rockies all that all those times, especially you know when he was at his peak for the Rockies. I think he can replicate that in St. Louis, but it does give me a little bit of cause for concern that there is a significant uh, difference in his splits between home and away over his career, with most of those home games being played at Coors Field. And again, he had arguably the worst season of his career last year, even if it was in a small sample size. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Again, like, would it surprise me at all if Arenado comes out and competes for the NL MVP this year? No, not at all. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's wouldn't it also wouldn't surprise me if he came out was a 275 hitter and was only a slightly above average player in St. Louis this year both of those results would not surprise me moving on though to the rest of the division because again I think this is a division where we have a clear-cut team that we expect to finish on top and then under that team there is a lot of uncertainty so for you, again, being the the NL Central expert here, Brendan, what do you view as maybe the player or the combo of a couple players that is on another team that's not the Cardinals? And wh- what do you view as the best combo that is most likely to propel one of the other NL Central teams into playoff contention? Uh, well, for me, that's kind of an easy question to answer, and it's mostly because... Um, even though I'm not really scared of the Milwaukee Brewers, I am absolutely terrified of Christian Yelich in combination with their pitching staff. I don't think this the whole pitching staff of the Brewers has what it takes to carry them into the playoffs. But if Christian Yelich can improve on what was an appalling year last year where he hit 205 and get anywhere near back to the MVP caliber level we saw in 2018 and 2019... I think he can single-handedly move this offense along enough to get the Brewers in a position where the top two of their pitching staff, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, who is absolutely filthy, and Brandon Woodruff, 
who I, I don't want to see him ever as a Cardinals fan. Um, I, I think they can kind of keep the games close enough that Christian Yelich's effect will be felt by oppos- by opposing pitchers. Um, to me, I don't think the Reds have what it takes. They're kind of a trendy pick right now, but um, I think long term, they're the back end of their pitching rotation and their terrible, terrible defense will be felt. And I, I just don't think they have what it takes. If it were a shortened season again, that would be a different conversation, I think. Um, but yeah, far and away, I think the the scariest team and especially the scariest player for me is, is Christian Yelich and the Milwaukee Brewers in the Central Division. Eric, are you are you hopping on the Yelich bandwagon as well, or do you have your eye on someone else? No, I mean I would still put my head in for the Cubs. Honestly, I, I recognize Christian Yelich as a single player will do is a scary prospect, I guess, for the Cardinals. But I still see a lot of positive hitters from the Cubs lineup that I think could cause trouble for the Cardinals pitching rotation, which I don't think we've talked about at all already yet, right? We've talked about Goldschmidt, Aaron, I don't know how well they're, they're going to pit or how well they're going to hit. Um, and, and I guess the rest of the lineup is going to hit. But I think those like Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and the acquisition of those like Jock Peterson will hit well against those like Jack Flaherty and, and Wayno and uh, the, the the rest of the Cardinals' current pitching rotation. So I, I think that will be a scary thought maybe for those those Cubs-Cardinals uh, matchups. And I think that at least keeps the intrigue for me in that division. And I'll, just to be different mostly, I'll stamp for the Reds. And I'll stamp specifically for Eugenio Suarez, who I think has been a largely underrated player for the last four or five years in baseball. The last full season we saw him in, he hit almost 50 home runs. And so when you're playing in the Great American Small Park there in in Cincinnati and you have a player like Eugenio Suarez, uh, maybe we see a bounce back year from Joey Votto, although he does start the season a little bit injured. I think there's enough talent, I guess I should say, in the Reds lineup where when you're playing in an offensive-friendly park and you have all this power, I think that could end up being enough to carry them into second place and be the closest to playoff contention, although I'm not sure that they get in. Eric, I want to circle back to you, though, because you mentioned the Cubs, and I think after seeing the Cubs trade away you Darvish, there's been a feeling around Chicago that Chris Bryant could be the next one on the trade block. Looking, you know, looking ahead to this season, do you think the Cubs play well enough where they keep Chris Bryant in Chicago for another year? Or is it possible that they find themselves around the deadline looking for buyers for their one-time MVP? Yeah, I think you posited that question excellently because it, it will be on how they play, right? I think there's been a lot of smoke being thrown around as to whether they're just going to blow up the roster regardless because they're going to feel they're they're obviously regressing. I, I don't think any Cubs fans should argue against that. And they are losing key pieces. So if the management decides that they want to blow it up, then that, that's up to them. But I guess if we're looking for a pure play perspective, I think the Cubs will be in contention at the very least through the trade deadline to not 
trade away key pieces such as Chris Bryant. And I guess for a preview for how we're going to project out those who are going to make the playoffs, I mean, obviously we already talked about the Padres already, and they're obviously a very strong team. But for the second NL wildcard spot, I think it'll be very close for the Cubs to be able to make that cut. Because I don't, I really don't think there's a runaway favorite. So if the Cubs are still willing to have that run through that wildcard spot, I, I don't think they will blow it up, and I don't think they should blow it up um, until giving at least this year a shot. And, and Brendan, I'm sure you would love to see the Cubs be bad enough where Chris Bryant is wearing another uniform come August. I mean, absolutely. I'd love to see them come out of the gates so slowly that they have no choice to do so. Um, but I, I come at this question from a different angle, I think. To me, this is the classic case of the Chicago Cubs doing what they do best, and that's by mismanaging their organization in the worst way possible. They've had a core that you could argue should have made multiple runs at multiple World Series in the last 10 years. I think that that's not something that's not, excuse me, the last five years. That's not something out of the realm of possibility. And whether they're in contention or not, I don't think that they move Chris Bryant just because this is the classic Chicago Cubs move. They're going to hold on to him, and then they're going to get nothing back for him except a compensation pick when he walks out of Chicago scot-free and signs a nice contract with somebody else. I don't think that they have what it takes to move him, and they sure as heck don't have what it takes to move him if they think there's an actual chance that they make the playoffs this season because this is the last dance right here. This is the Michael Jordan last dance, but bad news. You guys didn't get six championships. You got one. Well put. Well put. And speaking of another team who probably is not going to be uh, competing for championships anytime soon, the one that we, I think, all expect to be at the bottom of the division, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I think the the, question is really... The little brother. Oh. Yeah. I think <laughs> and I think the question is the only real, you know, question in doubt with the Pirates is are they in fact going to end up being the worst team in baseball this year? I think there's a really strong chance uh because I think the other teams that are in competition with them for that distinction, the Orioles, the Rangers, maybe even the Rockies, I don't think any of those teams are going to pitch particularly well, but I do think Almost all of them have more offensive firepower than the Pirates. I am, as someone who follows sort of the draft and prospect rankings really closely, because when you're an Orioles fan, that's really all you have to look forward to. I am really excited to see what Key Brian Hayes does in his first full season in Pittsburgh, because that has been someone who has been sort of, you know, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for him to finally arrive. And this is the year. But I think overall, looking up and down the lineup, there just probably isn't enough there to get them out of that uh, distinction of being the worst team in baseball. Do you guys see that differently, though? Or are you also feeling like it's going to be the Pirates at the bottom of the cellar? I don't see a lot of hope for the Pirates. It's unfortunate seeing a lot of the players that they have had on the roster the past years flourish in other areas such as Josh Bell and Joe Musgrove and or at least real wolf flourish I from from my standpoint and I think they're going to I mean possibly even keep losing these major players that I think we've seen that uh have have hit well or, or have pitched well for them so I I don't see a lot of 
positives from them compared to the other teams that you mentioned, such as the Orioles or the Rangers or even the Tigers, which we've mentioned before on our previous show? All right, I'll stick up for the Pirates, boys. Don't worry. Um, I'll be the Pirates advocate solely based on one observation. I think the back ends of all of the NL Central teams rotations are very very weak you look at the back end of their rotation the three to five guys I'm not excited about any of the names on there Jake Arrieta he's arguably the best three starter in the division and that's saying a lot this is not 2016 anymore this is 2021 and I think for that reason alone the Pirates are going to get a lot of games against some of these guys that can't go out and just dominate a triple-a lineup like the Pirates are fielding right now and I think when you look at a team like Disclaimer, John, I'm very sorry for what I'm about to say. The Baltimore Orioles, and they're in a powerhouse division. They don't have to, they don't, they don't get off days where they go out and accidentally stumble into a win against the likes of Wade Miley against the Cincinnati Reds because their bastards didn't come out and hit that day. They gotta go out and deal with the New York Yankees, the up-and-coming Toronto Blue Jays, the perennial Boston Red Sox, who are, I think, are still gonna be competitive, and the Rays, who we all know the Rays pull out games that they shouldn't win all the time. I don't think the Orioles get enough wins in their own division to be above the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that's fine with me because if the Orioles are actually the worst team in baseball, they probably get Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt, and that's amazing. If you don't know who Jack Leiter is, check him out. If you're not a draft nerd like me, you may not know who he is, but he is a name worth knowing. Okay, so moving on. From two divisions in the NL West and NL Central that we, I think we all sort of feel like have a clear-cut winner or at least a clear-cut, these are the one or two teams that are going to be at the top of the division, to a division in the NL East that I think is, there's a lot more up in the air. Uh, The Braves have obviously been good for several years now the nationals the last time we saw them in a full season they won the world series and the mets made a number of big moves after bringing in new ownership to put them in a position where maybe they can compete with uh those two teams i just mentioned eric i want to start with you because i think outside of the nl west the perception is that the braves are the biggest threats to the Dodgers and or the Padres, do you think that is the case or do you think that they don't quite have the firepower to uh, really duke it out with those other two juggernauts? I think from a firepower perspective, they certainly can compete against the Dodgers. They have shown it in the past, at the very least in the last year. And the as in like how they perform in the postseason as a whole. And I think they have a lot of pieces that we should all be excited for and, and how well they do. I mean, particularly Freddie Freeman coming off uh, an MVP season. And then uh, those such as Acuna or Albies, Ozuna, and um, other other minor pieces that can hit consistently, such as Dansby Swanson. I think throughout their roster, they can easily hit very well against the rest of the NL uh, against the rest of the league, I guess. Um, and I think the piece that 
will be very telling for the Braves is how well they end up pitching, right? And a, a lot of the pieces that they have, I would say I'm not as confident in. And such as such as Charlie Morton, uh, is it is it Max Fried or Fried? I honestly have forget. <laughs> I usually. I usually, I usually say freed just because the thought of someone's last name being fried uh, just seems weird to me. Is it freed? Like all right, not all right. Now it is. I keep forgetting. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah Max Freed. Like these individuals, I, I just don't know how confident we can be and how well they pitch against the NL. Yeah, I mean, I share your sentiments there, Eric. I think the Braves can be competitive. Um, uh, I don't really know that I would argue that they could win a playoff series against, you know, the big powerhouse teams like the St. Louis Cardinals and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting who else is good in the National oh, League. How, oh, how those can, guys how out in the West. Yeah, but um, I, I don't think the Bra- – I mean, in all seriousness, I don't think the Braves have a pitching staff that, that can make it. I don't even know if they – honestly, I don't even know if they can compete in their own division through the regular season – and if they actually find themselves in a playoff, you know, series against somebody like the Dodgers or the Padres, I don't think it's close at all. I mean, the most the most exciting pitcher in their rotation for me is Mike Soroka, and I don't even know that he's getting the ball in the playoff series unless one of these guys ahead of him gets hurt. Um, Charlie Morton, take it or leave it. Max Freed, my favorite player on the Braves now because I knew how to say his name and you didn't. Uh, I don't even I don't I don't know. This just doesn't look like a rotation that jumps out as World Series contender to me. I mean, we know they're going to hit the ball, but how much can you really hit when you're playing against Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer that much? And I will throw in for those for those Dodgers fans that want me to defend those Dodgers. I, I just know that we'll play that back. We'll play that piece back to to Max when the postseason comes around, or or to Brendan when the postseason comes around, and uh, we'll see how much he likes it when the Dodgers show up and the Cardinals don't. Sorry, go ahead, John. So I am, I am on the complete other end of the spectrum. I love the Braves. I, you know, I love what their lineup looks like. Uh, I think somehow Ronald Acuna has become one of the more underrated superstars in baseball. Uh, I think that, you know, as we continue to see growth from guys like Travis Darno, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, you bring in the young. Uh, center fielder and Kristen Pache, who uh, maybe he hits, maybe he doesn't, but at the very least, he's going to provide you with uh, almost elite level defense in center field. And then you guys are all down on this rotation where I think there's a lot of upside. Admittedly, I think uh, bringing in Charlie Morton is, you know, more going to be more about his presence in the clubhouse than maybe what he does on the mound. That's a guy who has a lot of experience uh, a lot of experience with winning teams, but I think Max Freed has great stuff. We didn't see Mike Soroka last year because of injury, but before that, he was somebody who was one of, I think, the budding stars in the National League from a pitching perspective. And I'll just throw this nugget out there uh, for you, Brendan. You really should give a little bit more respect to Max Freed because uh, he formed perhaps one of the most dominant high school uh, pitching tandems in recent memory with your boy Jack Flaherty. That's right. At one point in time, Max Fried and Jack Flaherty were on the same high school pitching staff at Harvard Westlake School out in California. And so I really like the Braves. I 
uh, expect them to win this division, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But I, I think you guys are a little bit off on your read of the oh, You're going to try and clown me like that? Like, I don't know that Flaherty and Freed pitched on the same high school rotation. Of course I know that, John. Come well, then on, give him some more John. respect. That's Come your guys. On. That's your boy's boy. High school behind Jack Flaherty. That's great. That could be anybody. That's your boy's uh, yeah, boy. Give yeah. him some I'll love. Him Come on. Least. I actually kind of do like Max Freed, but uh, besides him and, and Mike Soroka, I'm not too excited about this rotation. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think Acuna is like definitely the most underrated player in the National League, especially. It could be the majors, honestly, but yeah, it'll it'll be I'll be curious to see how the rotation does long term. So another team that I I think you're a little bit more excited about than the Braves, Brendan, is the Mets. And the Mets, maybe outside of the Cardinals or the Blue Jays, I mean, I think those teams are all sort of in contention for best offseason moves. And we have a team in the Mets that I feel like ever since they went to the World Series in 2015 have been, you know, they have all the talent, but they never put it together. Do you think this is the year that the Mets actually end up putting that talent together and make another postseason run? I do. I actually really, really believe in this Mets team, and that's kind of weird for me to say because uh, for whatever reason, they just seem to always play the little brother role in New York behind the Yankees. But, I I mean, I'm excited about this roster and the addition of Francisco Lindor. I I think that's the missing link, honestly. I think they hit the ball well. I think their lineup flows really, really nicely. Um, I think they score a lot of runs, and I, I would not be excited at all to see the New York Mets in a playoff series with Jacob deGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Marcus Stroman, Tywin Walker, who's got lights out stuff. And if he puts that together, I don't, I mean, he's got, he's got a high ceiling, a high, high ceiling. And I I think uh, from an NL East perspective in the regular season, it just doesn't seem like they're giving many of these teams off days where, you know, they have this room to slip up and they might give a bunch of runs early in the game. So from that standpoint, I'm kind of going against my whole mantra when I'm looking at the, at the major leagues as a whole and evaluating long-term um, standings by, by taking a team that on paper doesn't look very good defensively. Um, but I think the amount of strikeout pitchers that they have in their rotation, who needs to field the ball when nobody's touching the ball? I mean, it doesn't matter if nobody's putting it in play. Eric, I know you're a little lower on the Mets. Is there a particular reason why? I think I just want to see it happen from them. I'm one of those individuals that didn't project them into the the playoffs, despite them being a heavy favorite. I kind of liken them to us projecting, or it was myself projecting the Angels to make the playoffs in the AL for the past couple of years, and I just can't see it come to fruition for the Mets either at the moment. They have a lot of great pieces getting those that Brendan has already listed off. I'm even excited for those like uh, Thor coming back and, and hopefully pitching well in the summer. And I'm excited. I'm, I would root for the Mets, but I, until they have the sort of consistency that we're looking for, I am hesitant to project them doing well and making it to the postseason. And I think that's the key, and I think it has always been the key for the Mets, and I think even with the talent they've added this offseason, it remains the key is health. Will we see a healthy Mets team? If they're healthy, I also believe in their ability to go to the playoffs. But I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat that Eric is. Is I want to see it before I truly believe it, and I want to see it before I truly believe it 
especially regarding the health of the Mets. Now, going to a team that I mentioned, you could almost look at them as the reigning champions of the full season because I know that a lot of people want to put an asterisk on uh, some of the postseason results of last season just because of the nature of the pandemic-shortened season. So, again, the last time we saw the Washington Nationals, they pulled off a very memorable run to a World Series championship. And, Eric, you seem to believe that the talent that is still on the Nationals and the additions that they've made is enough to sort of put them back into true contention after a down year. What do you see in this Nationals team that has you excited? Yeah, for sure. They struggled a lot in the the short season, and it's probably one that they'll easily uh, forget, I, I would imagine. But they have a lot of good hitters still on the lineup for the Nationals. And, I mean, we have to obviously name Soto, who is an excellent batter at the plate, who can who can hit anything that, that's thrown to him. But then we also have Trey Turner and uh, picking up Josh Bell, who I already mentioned, off the Pirates. And I'm curious to see how Kyle Schwarber does, but I'm excited for how he do, for for how well he'll pitch, or sorry, pitch, how, how well he'll hit with the Nationals. And those such as, like, Victor Robles, I think they have a lot of key pieces that will hit very well in the NL East. And I think from a pitching standpoint, I mean, as long as everyone stays healthy, I think Scherzer still has enough in the tank. I think Strasburg can still pull it out in a season to shut people down. And I think the rest of their pitching rotation can can still do very well against this division. I'm curious to see how John Lester does, see how Patrick Corbin does. But I think they will be able to pick someone out from that back end to continue to pitch well into the postseason. Brennan, you also believe in the Nationals more than I do, admittedly. Why? Yeah, I think Eric hit it on the head there. I think they're going to hit the ball. We know Juan Soto's a stud. I mean, the dude had, he put up just egregious numbers on a forgettable Washington Nationals team in the shortened season last year. And John, although you mentioned it, like, yeah, they're the reigning champions from the last full season that the major league has had. That feels like a mile away. I mean, I, that has to just feel like an eternity away for the Washington fans. And I think they're they're ready to come out and show that they're still the same team. Um, I, I mean, they're going to hit the ball. We know that. And uh, their rotation is arguably the highest ceiling, scariest rotation in the National League. Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, who's got lights out stuff. John Lester, who can put it together. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he throws a no-hitter at all this year. And I, I think that's that's the end of the conversation right there. The way you're going to win the National League East, to me, is in pitching. Because you look at the National League East, everybody that's good is going to hit the ball. So the difference is going to be made on the like fielding, and it's going to be made in your starting pitchers and in your bullpen. And I think when you put all of that together, that's the reason I'm not as excited about the Braves. is because, for me, the standouts far and away in the pitching rotation are the Mets and the Washington Nationals. And I'm excited to see what they do this year. Um, hopefully they don't make some of those statements that I just made uh, sound kind of foolish if they're under 500 around the trade deadline and end up moving some of these older pieces they have. But, uh, yeah, the National League should be uh, an interesting playout for sure. And so I am definitely on the other end of the spectrum. I still, I still think the Nationals will be good enough 
to improve on their finish from last year. I think they'll probably be the third place team in this division. And we'll get into our in-depth division rankings in just a moment. But for me, I look at this team and Juan Soto is the only player who truly excites me. Now, I admit that part of that is just, you know, I am a Orioles fan and I just don't like the other local team very much. I have never really liked the Nationals all that much. Uh, but I, I look it up and down this roster and Juan Soto is a stud. There was, I forget who in the offseason, but there was someone in the offseason made the comparison that Juan Soto has every potential to be a Tony Gwynn that hits for more power. And whenever you have a player with that type of talent, that's exciting. But all of the other players in this lineup, the Josh Bells, the Kyle Schwarbers, even the Trey Turners, uh, I think their physical tools often outweigh their production. That you look at guys like Bell and Schwarber who are huge power hitters, very strong, but they also go through stretches where they are just, you know, below average contributors. Um, they get into slumps. Turner, I you know, again, great athlete, great speed. Uh, I don't know that he's ever really reached the heights that we've seen from other great young shortstops. And so I have questions about him. And then in the pitching rotation, yeah, this pitching rotation would have been great three years ago. I don't know that, you know, we're going to ever see the Cy Young Award uh, caliber pitching from Max Scherzer again. Strasburg, you always have to be worried about injury and, and things like that. Corbin, yeah, sure. I mean, he could be good, but he also could be mediocre. You know, John Lester's over the hill. And and so all of these things, it just gives me enough pause where, yeah, the upside is there, but I don't think they realize that upside. And so I think we expect all of those teams to compete for or be at least good enough to compete for playoff spots. The teams in this division that I think most of us will say are just outside looking in are the Phillies and the Marlins. And to me, those teams feel like two teams heading in different directions. I feel like Miami is really building a exciting young core that could uh, propel this team towards real legitimate contention sometimes in the future. We, you know, we've seen already Sandy Alcantara come up and be a very good of major league pitcher. We're expecting to see Sixto Sanchez make his full season major league debut this year. I think that's a really promising you know, young core to build around. They have some players offensively who I think surprised some people last year with how well they hit in uh, not only making the playoffs, but pulling off an upset in the first round of the expanded playoffs last year. So to me, Miami is actually the team in the in the Ascension, even if Philadelphia is the one with more star power. To you both, which team do you feel like is heading more so in the right direction or is, or is closer to contention with Philadelphia and Miami? I think it's difficult for me to pick one of them, honestly. I think, I think that likens to your sentiment as, as well, John. I, I think from a fan perspective, I, I would probably root for, for the Marlins. and I, I see a lot of positives from them, at least making a run last year in the 18 playoffs that we had uh in, in the in the postseason i i think overall i'm just down on on both of these teams and the phillies have been a disappointment over the past two years in particular and the marlins i just think back to like when they had a lot of key pieces and failed to do uh 
or make the most out of them, such as when they had Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna. And I have just that level of skepticism for the Marlins again and being able to stick it out and, and put the right pieces together to make any sort of run in this tough division. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right on the money there, Eric. I, like for me, it, it's it, it's also hard to pick one, not because I'm not clearly more excited for one team, but even with the Phillies window closing and the Marlins window seemingly opening or getting closer to opening, I don't really have a whole lot of faith in the Marlins, mostly because of what you just alluded to there, Eric. I think they had probably their dream roster and couldn't put any exciting runs together a few years ago with all those pieces you just mentioned. That being said, um, in the short-term future, next couple seasons yeah i'm really excited to watch this marlins team i think they've got some exciting pieces they've got some uh buy low hopefully sell high players and jesus aguilar and adam duvall i mean these are two guys who in the last five years i think combined they have three i could be wrong maybe fact check me later on but i think they have three total seasons between each other where they both had 30 doubles and 30 home runs and it's not out of the question these guys could put it together again and that would be a scary middle of the lineup for the Marlins. Um, looking at the rotations, I, take it or leave it. I mean, I like Aaron Nola out of the Phillies. Like Wheeler's all right. I'm just not very excited about it. And then you look at the Marlins, and I, I mean, I'm not as high on Sixto Sanchez anymore. I don't, I don't know that he has what it takes, but I mean, he's going to lights that stuff. Maybe he puts it together, maybe he doesn't. Sandy Alcantara, I think that dude's going to be a stud for years to come. The question in my mind going into the future is just if the Marlins can utilize that and if they can hold on to it without having to trade it away because they have to rebuild again. All fair points. All fair points. And so before we wrap up the discussion about the divisions, I want us to all go around and sort of give the order of how you expect each division to play out, one through five, and – if there's anything else you sort of want to explain a little bit more before we get to the awards and the postseason predictions, now's the time to do it. Brendan, we're going to start with you. You got it. Yeah, I'll start out of the first division we talked with uh, at the top of the show here. Uh, not very exciting. I've got the Dodgers coming out on top of the NL West, followed by the San Diego Padres. In third place, I've got the, I would say, kind of trendy pick, Arizona Diamondbacks. Fourth place, I've got the San Francisco Giants. And in fifth place, the lowly Colorado Rockies, who just traded away their best player for a five-starter. Moving on to the powerhouse National League Central, I have the St. Louis Cardinals finishing on top in a dogfight amongst four of the best teams. And I hope everyone can tell by my excitement that I am very kidding. Um, But I do have the Cardinals coming out on top, followed by who I expect to be pesky all year long, the Milwaukee Brewers. And in third place, I'm very happy to say that I have the Chicago Cubs and they're finishing under 500. Take that, clip it. I don't care. It's going to happen. They're not going to make it. They're not going to sell anybody, but they're not going to make it either. And it's going to be very, very exciting to watch that from a St. Louis perspective. Fourth place, I have the Cincinnati Reds. And in fifth place, of course, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And again, in the National League East, this was, this was a tough one for me. I'm really, really high on the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. And unfortunately, that means that I have the Braves missing the playoffs. Yes, you heard it here first, folks. The Atlanta Braves will miss the playoffs with all of their firepower out of the National League East. 
I have the New York Mets winning the division on the backs of their rotation and their acquisitions this offseason. I have the Washington Nationals as our second as my second wild card coming out of the National League East, finishing in second place behind those Mets. Because I think they put it all together. And honestly, I think they make another run at it. I don't think this is a perennial contender team. As you said, John, their, their rotation's aging. But I think this is the year for them, and I think they, they recognize that and take advantage of it. And uh, surprisingly to most, I'm sure, I have the Atlanta Braves, again, in third place, missing the playoffs. I, I think this is an anomaly year. I think you write it off, and they come back strong again next year, and, and they're a perennial contender in the National League. But uh, I, I just don't see it. To, for them this year, I think the National League East is crowded, and I think they they can't compete uh, rotation-wise, as I already kind of talked through. Um, and then I have fourth place, the Philadelphia Phillies, and in last, the Miami Marlins. Eric, how do you see it? So, actually, I have a cool question for Brendan here. So, the, the line I'm seeing for the Cardinals' wins is 86.5. How far above are you projecting the Cardinals to to beat that? Based on the sentiment I'm getting from you. Um, well, you're trying to you're trying to kind of back me into a corner here. This is <laughs> kind of a trick question. I'm not very fond of it, but um, to not beat around the bush, if I were going to place a wager on this, I would take the under, and that's shocking to say, as somebody who's talking very highly of the Cardinals. But I don't think the National League Central is going to go out and be world beaters and win a bunch of games outside of the division. I think 86.5 is probably a fair number. I know some of the projections like Pakoda, they don't, you know, they don't like the Cardinals at all. But you know, these projections, they don't, they don't value defense the way that they need to. And I think they're kind of skewed. And year after year, they project the Cardinals to be terrible. And the Cardinals always outperform them. So uh, short answer to your question, uh, I think they probably finish around 86, 87 wins. Um, I don't think it's out of the question for them to win 90, 90 games if they beat up on the Pirates a lot and if they steal some games, uh, you know, against some of the lowly teams in the NL West. But, yeah, I think 86.5 is a fair number. Okay. And I guess I'll, I'll allude to that when I, I speak to the NL Central. I just was curious to know, as, as we were talking about those contenders in the division, uh, for, for my rankings, uh, starting at the NL West, obviously I have the Dodgers winning this division in the one spot. And then I do have the Padres in second spot making the first wild card. And then I think the most surprising for this division is what I kind of alluded to when we talked about the NL West. I think the Rockies will contend for the three spot here. They, I don't, I, I think they'll surpass some projections and uh, and everybody making a lot of noise about the Arenado trade. I think they still have some key pieces to stay in the three spot there. And then rounding out the division, I have the Giants and the Diamondbacks, which with all due respect to the Diamondbacks, I mean, I, I hope they do as well as uh, Brendan suggested in, in his rankings. But I, I think uh, the, the Rockies will still remain in, in the three spot there. So I guess uh, I talked a lot there, but just one through five, Dodgers, Padres, Rockies, Giants, Diamondbacks. And then for the NL Central, I likewise have the Cardinals winning this division. They obviously have the key pieces they need to, to make that postseason run. And then surprisingly, I have the Cubs in second, the Reds boo, in third, boo. the Brewers in fourth, and the Pirates in fifth. 
And the reason why I asked about where I thought that line would be for the Cardinals is because I really do think that the Cubs, Reds, and Brewers were all, will all be around that, uh, that, that mark where they'll keep pushing the Cardinals. So, for example, for the early question that we had as to whether the Cubs will trade, I, I think they'll be right around that mark where they will contend and they'll flip-flop. And I think it's very reasonable to see that the Cubs, Reds, and Brewers finish in that order. And then finally for the NL East, I have the Braves winning that division. I have the Nationals making the second wild card. And then I have the Mets just falling short. And then Phillies and Marlins in that order. All right. And to wrap my division up really quickly, uh, I have in the NL West, Dodgers Padres 1-2, just like everybody else. Uh, I have Diamondbacks 3, Giants 4, Rockies 5. I don't think there's really much else to say out there. Uh, In the NL Central, I have the Cardinals winning. I have the Reds coming in second just off uh, the backs of what I believe should be a good offense. The Cubs coming in third off of a team that will probably do a lot of things well but not great. And then, unfortunately, being... A beers. I feel like I should be higher on the Brewers, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, and so the team I like to refer to as the team of my people, the Milwaukee Brewers, I will have them in fourth, Pirates in fifth. In the NL East, I have the Braves winning it, but I also have the Mets making the playoffs. I have the Nationals, maybe out of spite, finishing in third. And then Phillies, Marlins, four, five. So we're going to, in just a moment, do our entire playoff predictions, uh, including the World Series, which we did not get to do in our AL episode, just uh, out of suspense. But before we get to that, as we did in the AL, we are going to talk about our award predictions. And so, Eric, I'm going to start it out with you, as you have selected for the MVP a Dodger, surprisingly. Why do you have Mookie Betts winning the MVP? I mean, I simply think for the fact that Mookie Betts is a phenomenal defender and he'll do well at the plate with his counting stats and how well he'll hit based on how the rest of this division, or sorry, the rest of this line, uh, lineup will, will flesh out and um, him getting the RBIs that he needs, him getting the runs that he needs, him getting the home runs he'll need to have those counting stats to prop him up in this NL MVP voting race. And I think it'll also be backed by a strong finish by the Dodgers this year as a whole. And then, Brendan, you didn't go with the favorite for MVP, but you went with the second favorite in Mr. Juan Soto. Care to explain? Yeah, I think uh, similar to how I projected it out when we went through the NL East, I think Juan Soto is just a stud. I mean, he hit the crap out of the ball last year when the Nationals were underperforming. I think he continues to do that this year. This is a guy who finished fifth in the MVP voting last year on arguably one of the worst teams in the National League uh, compared to their preseason projections. Um, And I think based on my projections of the Nationals making the playoffs out of a competitive National League East, uh, I think he gets a lot of voting uh, help there because he's going to be, you know, obviously propelling and carrying that offense majority. Um, And so I think 
in route to the Nationals making the playoffs. Juan Soto gets a lot of help in the MVP voting there, and he pushes some of these guys out like Mookie Betts. Freddie Freeman's obviously a non-contender if the Braves are missing the playoffs, as I have them projected to be. And I think the Padres, they have too many stars, uh, which is kind of a fluke in the MVP voting, I think. But, uh, you know, they, they kind of share the numbers there offensively. So I think Juan Soto takes it as the National League MVP this year. And I sort of alluded to my pick when we were also going over the National League East projections. I have Ronald Acuna taking home the MVP. The last time we saw this guy playing a full season, he almost went 40-40 in terms of home runs and stolen bases. And I think he's still getting better. He's only 23 years old. I don't expect Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna to continue the sort of torrid offensive pace that they showed in the uh shortened season and because of that i expect uh, acuna to shine even more and to really cement himself as the face of this braves offense moving to the other side of the ball in terms of cy young award eric you again went with the favorite and i don't think we would be surprised but i'm interested to hear why you think Jacob DeGrom is going to win, I believe, his third consecutive Cy Young? I mean, what more can I say than he has lights out stuff to continue to show his excellence? I mean, just looking at his metrics over the past couple of years, I, I, I mean, I'll pick up something easy, just like fielding independent pitching, which uh, where his defense might be changing, but he continues to have excellent fielding independent pitching over the years to pitch well just at the mound get the strikeouts he needs and I, I find it difficult to find someone else who's going to pitch better than him uh for for the NL as a whole yeah and excuse me I, I want to correct myself uh he is not going for his third consecutive Cy Young he's going for his third consecutive Cy Young among full seasons Trevor Bauer taking home the Cy Young last year in the shortened season Brendan for you you have a uh hometown hero so to say taking home your Cy Young Award winner. Uh, yes, the the best friend of Max Freed, my favorite Atlanta Braves player, Jack Flaherty, takes home the National League Cy Young this year. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a biased pick as a Cardinals fan, but rather one um, who is a little worried about where Jack Flaherty ends up after this contract of his is up. He's got an awful lot to prove. This is a guy who could be a perennial top five pitcher in his career for any team. And he's about to go onto his first big boy contract in the major leagues. And I think he comes out rejuvenated by a lineup that is going to provide some runs for him this season. And I, I think he, his dominant stuff, I mean, he carries that throughout the entire season and he will be the difference maker in the Cardinals rotation. That could be lackluster at times. Um, but this is a guy who I think we will recognize as a superstar uh, for years to come, and he won't be flying under the radar after this 2021 season. Um, I just want to quickly point out, I think the contract situation is a big part of it, but if I did have to take somebody else, then Elson Lamette, I mean, this guy has got lights out stuff. If I asked you guys prior to this podcast recording who finished fourth in the Cy Young voting last year in the shortened season, I don't know that either of you would have guessed an Elson Lamette. I sure, I, 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 would I, I absolutely would not have. I, I absolutely would not have. But looking at this guy's numbers, I mean, it matches what you see in the game. I was going off eye test, but I, I, having looked at his statistics, this guy 
is going to be a stud. And I think he's going to be the anchor of this San Diego Padres rotation for a long, long time. This is a guy who gets strikeouts. He can pitch the contact when necessary. And he has the overpowering velocity and sweeping slider and, and disgusting pitches to handle the likes of powerhouse lineups that he'll be seeing in the Los Angeles Dodgers this season. And that's going to that's gonna be very, very impressive on his Cy Young resume. Okay, and speaking of uh, players who have something to prove and the San Diego Padres, that rolls really nicely into my Cy Young pick, which is Blake Snell, who will look to become just the latest in a line of players to win the Cy Young in both the American League and the National League. And the reason I picked Snell is that I think he's going to come into this season pissed off with something to prove after he was yanked in what proved to be the final game of the World Series. And my hope is that uh, sooner rather than later this season, the coaching staff in San Diego is going to let him off the leash that he has sort of been on his whole career. The the uh, Rays never really let him pitch much beyond five innings. And so my, my thinking is that I think Snell's going to come out wanting to prove how good he is, wanting to prove he can go more than five innings at a time, and that'll translate into a Cy Young winning season. Eric, did you have something you want to follow up on before we move to the postseason? Honestly, while you guys were speaking, I was just looking out to remind myself the pitcher-friendly parks that we have here Um, and seeing uh, Bush Stadium and uh, Petco Park being amongst them. So I'm curious to see how how well they do in this this long season with – uh, in these these different ballparks, but that's just a random thought that I had. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you know, pitching in a pitcher friendly ballpark can never hurt. So we've gone through how we expect the regular season in the divisions to fold to unfold. We've gone through who we expect to take home the hardware in the National League. Now let's talk about what we really play the game for. That's making the playoffs. That's winning championships. And in terms of playoff predictions, uh, I'm again going to uh, I'm going to start with Brendan because I think he has maybe the most interesting or maybe the one that is going to make you sort of roll your eyes the most. Brendan, who do you have coming out of the National League and how? Oh, I'll just jump the gun right now, John. I have the St. Louis Cardinals coming out of the National League and meeting the Houston Astros in the World Series, as we discussed in our what? AL previews. Yeah, I mean, you guys are going to act like this is blasphemy and that it's only because I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. But hear me out. I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that worse Cardinals teams have won the World Series. I would I would pose you guys a question. The last time the Cardinals won the World Series was in 2011. I don't think that team is a World Series winning team by any means. But something happened right before they won that World Series. They made a big, big trade, and they landed a guy who was the difference maker in Matt Holliday. And he went down as a Cardinal legend for years to come, got his curtain call, got to finish off um, a wonderful career with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I see a similar play out with this Nolan Arenado trade. I think it propels the St. Louis Cardinals to um, not only endure a long, long regular season and come out on top and in a scrappy Nando Central, um, but they're, you guys can mark this down if you need to take notes. They are going to be a scary, scary team in a playoff series. And Eric, I don't think I would have to remind Clayton Kershaw of that. So quickly, I'll run through my playoffs. 
uh, for the NL. As you guys know, I have the Cardinals coming out of the NL. But in the wild card game, I've got the San Diego Padres coming up against the Cinderella Nationals. Um, I don't. I don't think the Nationals. Uh, I mean, I don't think they have what it takes to get through the Padres. This is kind of an unfair. I, I don't think. I think the NL wild card is a little. I think it's a factor of the wild card situation being broken. The Padres should not be playing in the wild card game. They're far and away the second best team in the major leagues. I think uh, behind the, the their division mate, Los Angeles Dodgers, and. For that reason, I have the Padres advancing past the Cinderella Nationals into the NLDS, where they get to meet their division foe, the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is the series of the decade. This is what we'll look back on for years to come as the defining moment where the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres finally meet head-to-head in a playoff series and really butt heads for the first of what I'm expecting to be a long, long bout. I think experience and power will carry the Los Angeles Dodgers over the San Diego Padres this year in a five-game series that could honestly go either way. For that reason, I have the Dodgers moving on to the NLCS. Now, you all know I have the Cardinals winning the National League, so it's no surprise that I say that they beat the New York Mets. Now, you all might be wondering, this is kind of questionable given I just spent so long talking about how the New York Mets are a scary team with their rotation, especially in a playoff series, and especially in a shortened five-game series. I am not afraid of that as a Cardinals fan. I am not afraid of that looking at this. From a completely unbiased opinion, I think the St. Louis Cardinals dominate this series. I think they beat Jacob deGrom. I think they beat Noah Syndergaard if he makes a start. And I think they win the third game too. I think this is a clean sweep. It's not even close. And here's the difference maker. You'll remember when I made that callback, to the defense, and the New York Mets will be abysmal at defense. This is reminiscent to me of the 2006 World Series where the Detroit Tigers were far and away the better team but could not field the ball to save their lives, and the Cardinals walked away with a David Eckstein World Series MVP. How many people listening to this know who David Eckstein is? I do. He won a World Series MVP for the St. Louis Cardinals that are going to beat the Mets this year. And so moving along, we have my favorite matchup, as a Cardinals fan, an NLCS where we get to see seven games between the Los Angeles money-grabbing Dodgers and their powerhouse lineup against the St. Louis Cardinals, who everyone will write off early. The Cardinals will stick around, and they'll make a series out of it. And then the Dodgers will wake up trying to figure out how they have to play a seventh game against these Cardinals and get to see Jack Flaherty on the mound once again. He is going to shut down this powerhouse lineup in that Game 7 and push the Cardinals to the World Series where they'll be meeting the Houston Astros. And it may surprise all of you, but the St. Louis Cardinals will win the World Series too. They're going to beat these Houston Astros who do not compare to the competition in the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL. And the Cardinals will win the World Series in five games. Jack Flaherty is your World Series MVP. Jack Flaherty is your Cy Young. And he'll sign a nice big contract, hopefully with the St. Louis Cardinals to stick around to win more championships for years to come. Eric, I'll pass it along to you. Uh, any smart comments? Uh, I'd like you to get those out of the way now so I can uh, just kind of push those to the side and then we'll move on. Well, I mean, if we're talking about smart comments. I think everybody's just listening along to where my predictions are going to land because that's where the real smart comments are compared right. to what right. Brandon just walked through. All right. 
let, let me just walk through it with you guys before I just hop around too much, just to make sure everyone follows along. So as uh, I mentioned, for my wildcard game coming out of the NL, I have the Padres and Nationals, actually just like Brendan, and likewise I also have the Padres making it out. I, I don't have too much of a story here, but I, I think that Padres playing the home game, I think they'll just be more comfortable and uh, in showing up versus the, the Nationals who might be a little bit more streaky. And then in the first NLDS game, I have the Dodgers and the Padres. Also just uh, how, how uh, Brendan has drawn it up so far. And I think the Dodgers will are more likely to sit the Padres down and put them in their place than how Brendan described it for the series. I have the Dodgers coming out in four games, and possibly the only game they'll lose to is possibly the Blake Snell. I'm giving a little respect here, and I think... I know we mentioned Lamette and him pitching lights out, but I think the Dodgers will hit much better against the rest of the righties and will carry the Dodgers into the NLCS for another year. For the other NLDS series, I have the Cardinals in the two-hole and the Braves in the three-hole here. So this series, I think, will be an excellent series, much I'm much more excited about this series than I would be for the Dodgers and Padres series, uh, honestly. And considering the firepower that we have on both of these teams, I think this will be a lights-out, home-run-hitting NLDS where both of the pitching teams, uh, Flaherty and Freed, will will struggle against the... the That, that uh, I love the excellent setup that we have throughout the discussion about <laughs> Flaherty and Freed. And I just have them matching up in my second NLDS here. And I, I think I think the the firepower that we'll see from both teams will be absolute fireworks. And I'm excited for this series. I do have the Cardinals making it out in five games. And it'll be a, a squeaker, I think, in, in that last fifth game, I think. And that's my prediction all the way out here uh, preseason. And that rounds out to me speaking to the other half of this NLCS of the Dodgers and Cardinals. I think that this will depend a lot from from a realistic standpoint on on how well these teams are are managed and and when these different pitchers will pitch, when they're going to be pulled, and, and how each of these teams will show up. And I think from my standpoint, the Cardinals are an excellent postseason team, but I, I still think they might not show up this year in particular. They, they might get to always an LCS, but I, I think that they won't take the Dodgers to seven games at the very least. I have the Dodgers coming out in, in six games, and I think they'll pitch much better than the, the Cardinals will against uh, these these two high hitting lineups. I, I think that I'm going to allude to Max Fried and Jack Flaherty again, but I mean Fried also lost against the Dodgers. I think I'm projecting Flaherty to struggle against the Dodgers as well in this in this series. So we'll see how it comes when the postseason comes around, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I have the Dodgers coming out in six games to make it to my World Series, and who will play against the Twins from my last 
projections for for the AL. I may have missed it, but we're, are we are we announcing our World Series projections? I, yeah, I think go, for go for it. Go for it. Go for it. All right. <laughs> All right. And so with the Dodgers and Twins, I think this game will be a little easier for one of these two teams than the championship series. Uh, for those who have already listened or for those who might not have listened, I, I projected the Twins to have a very tight series in the ALCS. And the <clears throat> Dodgers Cardinals will be an excellent game as well. Uh, with all due respect to the Cardinals. I think the Dodgers and Twins, however, will only go to five games, and I think the Dodgers will show up and take a a, a back-to-back World Series championship, and they'll also have the motivation to get a full season uh, World Series as well on their, on their books. And so that just leaves me. And... Uh... Much to my chagrin, I can't pick my favorite team to win the National League and win the World Series because... Because they're in the AL. Because, because <laughs> A, my favorite team is in the American League, and B, they are very far away from being uh, competitive enough to win a World Series. So, in a lot of ways, I think this could be the most unbiased of all of the playoff projections of the three of us. I, uh, like everyone else, have the Padres coming out over their National League East counterpart, in my case, the Mets in the wild card, to set up that uh, coveted Dodgers-Padres first round or NLDS series. I have, like everyone else, that going to five games, and like everyone else, I have the Dodgers prevailing. In the other side, I will continue to be very high on the Braves, and I will upset the Cardinals loving co-host that I have by picking the Braves over the Cardinals in four games. I think the Braves lineup, as much as we have, you know, talked about the wonders of the Goldschmidt Arenado pairing, I think the Braves lineup is overall deeper. And so that sets up a rematch of the 2020 NLCS between the Dodgers and the Braves. I think the result is largely the same. The Dodgers are just the better version of the Braves uh, they both have very talented lineups. They both have pitching rotations with a lot of upside, but the Dodgers just have the better versions of all those players. And so if you listened to the AL predictions and my AL predictions in particular, you'll realize that this now sets up perhaps the juiciest possible World Series, and that is a 2017 rematch of the Astros and the Dodgers in which I believe in the most poetic, you know, justice-filled ending to this baseball season, the Dodgers will exact their revenge on the Astros. They will win in five games to retain the World Series title and to, you know, feel that sweet feeling of revenge that they surely want for feeling like they were cheated out of a title in 2017. Get your trash cans out, Los Angeles. John said it here first. This will put him to win at Minute Maid Park, wouldn't it? <laughs> in five games. All the <laughs> better. All the better. What a ride. That's that's what a like ride. I'm telling you. <laughs> justice if if things go the way I see them going, justice will be served for the Dodgers. No longer will they have to worry about what could have been had the Astros not cheated. No longer will they have to even have people talk about, 
oh, well, the 2020 championship came in a shortened season, so that doesn't really count. No, Dodgers win. Dodgers get revenge. Dodgers, you know, put down all the naysayers. And that's how I see the National League and this MLB season in total going down. Yeah, you know, the Dodgers can probably... Keep it going. The Dodgers can going. probably pay for Mookie Betts' contract if they decided to sell garbage cans at the World Series against the Astros. Probably. Probably. And so I think that'll just about do it for our NL preview. We thank you once again for everybody that tuned in. Be sure to check out the pod- the podcast First episode, the AL preview, if you have not already, uh, be sure to subscribe to us. We are available now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as several other podcast locations. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, search, line them up, see if it's there, download, subscribe, share with your friends. And for the rest of my co-hosts, for Brendan. Thanks, guys. And for Eric. Have a good one, guys. I'm John, and we will see you all in the next episode.